Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Before the pandemic, you didn't exactly see a butcher shop on every corner of every neighborhood, despite what old TV shows might have you believe. But they're out there and they're thriving as long as people like you and I keep shopping there. CityCast contributor Halby Klein is here to tell us about some of his local favorites, plus a new effort to recruit more people into the craft. It's Thursday, July 7th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So, how? why aren't there many independent butcher shops left around here? Basically, it's, it's a confluence that's similar to the industrialization of food, in a lot of different ways. With meat specifically, it starts at the end of the 60s. Um, Iowa beef packers, I think they were called, Mm -hmm. starts shipping boxed meat. So it used to be you would get, you know, a whole cow or half a cow, um, whole goat, half a goat, chickens, and you would do everything on site. Usually it would be local. And then, you know, as we start seeing everything kind of come together, like, so right now, four corporations control 85% of the meat supply in the United States. Is that, which is wild, really? right? Yeah. So wow. what happens then is everything just gets like very systematized and it's convenient too. So people, if you run a place um, like a grocery store, you can just get everything shipped to you. You can do the data. You can say, oh, we need 18 chickens this week and, you know, 47 chickens next week. And so all these things start coming together and we lose the neighborhood butcher shop as a consequence of this. I, you know, I'm just so used to my meat just getting to me in a prepackaged thing. I never think about the process beforehand. Yeah, and it's tricky, right? Because we like convenience. And I think a lot of the times if you're going to the grocery store already, you just get your meat while you're there Yeah. instead of making a couple extra stops. But I do think it's totally worth it, at least for part of the time, to go seek out these independent butcher shops. So what's the draw? Like, why go to one of these independent shops rather than do what I do, which is just go and scour, you know, the meat section at Giant Eagle? There are a few things. So first of all, you're supporting the local economy, which I think is always a really good thing to do, right? So if you can do that, that's great. But you're also getting a lot better service. So you're getting people that once you go a few times, know that every Tuesday you want to come in for your T-bones or whatever. But also if you're having a barbecue, if you're doing an event, if you just want to, if you're curious about cooking something new, mm-hmm. you can go in and ask questions in a way that you're not going to be able to ask questions at a big box store. Um, and you're going to get a lot of interesting and unique cuts that you might not find. So at the, you know, at the grocery store, at the big box store, everything is pre-sliced, pre-packaged. The like little packages are filled with inert gas to keep everything looking rosy and fresh, but you don't actually know quite how old it is. Uh, Not that they're selling bad meat or anything yeah, like that. But yeah. you know, it's but when you go to a butcher shop, you really know where it's coming from and you know how old it is. You can often see them cut it in front of you. If there's a way that you like your pork loin cut, for example, you can say, hey, I really like a cut like this. And I think also just once you start developing those relationships too, oftentimes the butcher will say, hey, I know you get a lot of this. Like, have you tried, you know, you really love flank steak you should try a skirt steak. Let me give you a little piece of that and you can try it at home and see if you like it. So you can expand your horizons. You can learn more interesting things to cook. I'm just thinking the only time I ever have control over the meat that I want is like when I get like lunch meat and I'm like, can you cut the 
corned beef thin. That's probably like the most control that I have. Um, yeah, and it's nice here because you could say, oh, I want a pound and a half of something and not have to search around and do it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too is what happened for a long time was a lot of these butcher shops really got priced out mm. because big box stores could factor in. They can make meat cheaper because they're doing it in higher bulk, but also right. they could afford to lose a percentage or two of profit because they're getting extra percentage on the Cheerios or whatever, right? So it's all built in. Whereas a butcher shop is going to be a butcher shop and they're not selling much else. But what happened during the pandemic and what's happening now with inflation is especially the places that are working with local meat, it's become extraordinarily competitive on price as the price of beef on the commodity market on a national scale went up extraordinarily. The price of Pennsylvania raised beef has stayed basically the same um when you're buying whole animals is it because we because we have like so many farms is that why we have so much beef yeah and yeah. there was it's basically it is that and most of the commodity meat is based in a couple of different regions in the country that's not pennsylvania although i did talk to someone else that said he started seeing buyers there's a brazilian conglomerate that's the largest supplier of meat in the entire world and he's been going to the auction for years and he noticed that he there were some buyers from the brazilian conglomerate starting to show up at the Pennsylvania livestock auctions, which is scary because you want Pennsylvania stuff to stay as yeah. much as it can in Pennsylvania and be sold at a fair price. That sounds like the plot behind some, you know, Batman episode or something like these, these Brazilian meat buyers are coming in town. Yeah, like sneaking <laughs> into Western Pennsylvania and showing up at the auction. Yeah. Doing all that stuff for sure. Well, let's get to some of your favorite spots. What are some essential butcher shops in town that we can go and patronize? I love Salem's mm -hmm. Market and Grill in the Strip District. You know, it's where I go almost all the time to buy my meat. I think they have such a deep connection to the Pennsylvania food system and to livestock here. I think they're the largest non-commercial buyer of livestock in Pennsylvania at this point because they do so much. And they just they bring so much in for their attached restaurant, for custom orders. I'd love just, it's a it's a, also a reason you go to these markets is just the vibrancy, right? You just feel part of a larger community and you go there and you see people from all walks of life ordering different things. And it's really interesting because certain cultural preferences, people would want like an old goat and some other cultural preferences, people would want a young goat and they can do all of that there, which is really, you know, kind of amazing for me. And then as I was reporting for this story, I also learned about this place called La Medina Mediterranean Halal Market, which is uh -huh. in the South Hills, which a butcher named Abu Muhammad is a refugee from Syria. He came over in 2018. So most of the places featured in the story are 30, 40, 70 years old. And it's really amazing to see someone new to our community bring something totally fresh. So he's getting whole beef. Um, he's driving to Amish farms in eastern Ohio to pick up goats wow. sometimes and lambs sometimes. And watching him work was just so exciting. And it's a much smaller counter. It's one of those places that I would definitely advise calling ahead. Call and say, what do you, what do you have in today before you make the trip? But I just think it's such a good place. And then I went up to Toma Meats, which is north of Pittsburgh. So they're up there. They're processing all the livestock. They have a slaughterhouse, a USDA inspected plant. They're bringing in livestock, not just for their own business, but for all sorts of places that they're slaughtering and sending it to. But then they have their own butcher shop on the property. And so you're getting, it's like literally like you're as close to the source as you can get. It's right, you know, two doors away Yeah, is where it's getting processed. And it's really great because it does give you such a wide sense of connection. And I, 
I don't think everyone needs to like feel like super connected to their meat in like a woo-woo way. But I think when you see it, like when you know where it's from, you have a little bit more respect for the animals you're eating. And so you go there and then speaking of animals eating, they also have their own line of dog food. Um, so they're oh, using for everything. Our canine friends. Yeah. yeah. So they're using everything from the animals. So there's, you know, the extra bones and uh organs that aren't being sold and things like that and they yeah. grind it all up into this really great dog food that i've actually started after reporting this story i started feeding my dog and she loves it she's super happy with it oh that's nice your dog's getting natural local meat too yeah hey citycast listeners newsletter editor francesca DeBecco here do you want to get your message out in the berg you should advertise with us CityCast Pittsburgh reaches the locals who care most about what's going on around town. Our listeners and readers are the dedicated residents who live and breathe all things Steel City. They're looking for new restaurants, attending local events, and proud to be politically and socially engaged. Learn more at citycast.fm forward slash advertise or email us at ads at citycast.fm. So switching gears, you talked about all the challenges independent butchers have faced since meat became more industrialized. But you also said some of these Pittsburgh butchers have been around for like 70 years. So what's kept them going? You know, the the ones that I talked to that have been around for a long time, the common threads are just a, a connection to, to service. I think they really think that they're doing something for both the people that raise the animals and for the people that are selling the animals too. Because these are all multi-generational businesses at this point too yeah which is pretty incredible so toma meets i think he's fourth generation maybe there's jl kennedy meat stand that in some ways they the kennedy family has been raising animals since the late 1700s i didn't believe that when they told me so i fact checked it twice yeah <laughs> um, and they haven't had the meat stand there but it's that's in the east liberty co-op which is on saturday morning and they're one of the original stands there i think in 1956 or 52 somewhere around there and then I think what's, you know, what happened is the places that had really good service were able to maintain enough of a loyal customer base through the time of chains, expansion, big box stores, that they were able to stay in business in a way. And with the clientele, it's the same thing. You see second, third generation customers. And so I went when I was reporting to a couple of places and I met people because they saw me, you know, with my mic out interviewing someone mm-hmm. They're like, oh, my pap used to take me here when I was a kid. And now I'm here with my kid and hopefully they'll come here. And that's what I think, too. I would think that, like, to even be a butcher, certainly to have a shop, it is probably something that was passed down or you have some sort of probably close familial connection, which is kind of how, you know, people get involved in this. So how hard is it, though, to start a new butcher shop? It's tough. I mean, I think that's the thing that I hope we're going to see an end to this trend because a few people have tried to start new butcher shops Mm -hmm. over the past few years. And aside from La Medina... He opened in November of last year. So, you know, to be determined to see how long that will last. Hopefully it will last for a very long time. Uh, But there was a place called Heritage Craft Butchers down in Mariana in the southern part of the state, kind of right near West Virginia, that was doing amazing stuff. They were bringing in really incredible meat. And And they were also working with a lot of farmers who were raising meat more conventionally. And they were saying like, hey, why don't you just raise, you know, like three or four pigs of this different breed we promise we'll buy it from you just to see. And so it was really adding to the diversity of what was offered. 
And then they had a couple bad weeks and it just, that was it. It collapsed. It's such a, it's such a low margin business. Wow. A couple of bad weeks. Yeah. Just, you know, it was, I think they were already struggling a little bit probably. And then it just, these things collapsed, but you saw that, you know, years ago there was Marty's market in the strip district Mm -hmm. and they were trying to do something and it just was a little too ahead of its time. There was Butcher on Butler that didn't work out, which was the same sort of thing. And I wonder now, I wonder if those things were just, just opened a couple years ahead of where they should have. And now Pittsburgh and the culture of where we're buying our food might be ready for it in a way that's a little bit different. When did they open and uh, what do you think made them a little too far ahead of their time? Yeah, so I think Marty's Market opened like kind of early 2010s, like maybe around 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And they closed in January of 2016. And Butcher on Butler was a uh, similar trajectory a couple years, a couple years later on both of those ends. But, you know, like when Butcher on Butler was open that part of Upper Lawrenceville just didn't have the same housing that it does now. So I think it was there. And I think even in the Strip District, the same thing. I don't think quite as many people were living there then. But also it might just be a thing where people just weren't into the concept at the same point. Whereas you do when you have these historic butcher shops, you have a built-in clientele. Do you think there's space for more independent butchers here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a demand for it now. I think, you know, again, with COVID, when there was that initial panic and there was this run on the grocery stores and you couldn't buy meat and you couldn't find things and all this stuff, all of the local butcher shops had maintained their supplies to the point where a lot of people who were raising livestock around here were calling these butcher shops and saying like, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do with these you know, cows anymore. Can you take them? So I think there is, you know, there is definitely a demand for it, I think. And there, there's some... Um, I'm not sure all the specifics of it, but there are a couple of grant programs that were factored into the last COVID relief bill that allow for existing butchers to expand their businesses and for people who are interested in starting a business to grow one as well. Okay, so we're heading into the weekend. Um, I'd love to get a recommendation for our listeners. Is there a specific cut of meat you'd recommend from one of these butchers? And also, how would you prepare it? Yeah, so I love lamb shoulder. Leg of lamb gets all the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> lamb chops gets all the attention. Crown roasts of lamb get all the attention. The lamb shoulder, the front part, so it works a little bit more. So it builds up a really nice intramuscular fat. Um, so I love going down to Salem's local Western Pennsylvania raised lamb. I sometimes will just salt and pepper it and throw it on the smoker. Sometimes I'll marinate it overnight and a bunch of different spices, maybe a little bit of like cut oranges and stuff, just to give it like a little bit of extra flavor. Mm. Um, so you can get uh, complicated with, with it if you want and give it a, a brine or a marinade, or you can just season it up a little bit and throw it on the smoker. It's about eight hours. I usually use a mix of hickory and applewood to smoke it. If you don't have a smoker at home, uh, you could also roast it in the oven, which maybe you don't want to do this weekend because it's so hot. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, in the winter, it's the same sort of thing. You can season it in a very similar way and just slow roast it um, or slow braise it in an oven. And it's just, it's such an amazing cut of meat. It's so flavorful. You know so much about cuts of meat. Um, that is so much more than I ever would have thought of. And it sounds delicious. <laughs> I, I really geeked out in this story, too. It was really amazing <laughs> to just talk to all these butchers and learn. So. Thank you so much, Hal. Yeah. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Have a good day. 
Howie Klein is a contributor here at CityCast Pittsburgh. This reporting was for Pittsburgh Magazine, but he has a new gig now. He's the senior food writer and dining critic at Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Congrats, Hal. Also, a note to our listeners, CityCast producers Mallory and Megan got really nebby about Hal's one detail about Pennsylvania's whole animal beef prices. So they looked it up. Good old Pennsylvania steers and heifers cost more overall, but they've been far more steady on the market than sale prices nationally, which had a couple huge highs and lows in the past couple of years. The more you know. You can't see me, but I'm doing the rainbow thing with my hands. (laughs) Some more news before you go. Allegheny County Council voted to ban new forestry, fracking, and home construction, both inside and underneath county parks. The bill now heads to County Executive Rich Fitzgerald, who says he'll veto it. He's been a very vocal supporter of natural gas drilling over the years, but if council supporters stand by it, they could have the votes to overrule him. Robert Morris University is celebrating a first. Michelle L. Patrick will be the first woman to serve as president in its 100-year history. She's been the interim lead since April when the previous interim stepped down. Former President Chris Howard left in February for her position at Arizona State. And some good news, sort of, for anyone who was due to serve jury duty this week or next. Common Pleas Court admins forgot to send out a bunch of summonses seven weeks ago. So now the 10 trials all due to select jurors will be slightly delayed. Uh, You know, you only get paid $9 and change per day for serving jury duty, which is crazy. They don't even pay for parking. So, I mean, that's like an hour of parking downtown. Anyway, a slight reprieve for anyone who dreads a day down here. Okay, stick a fork in us because we're done here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Anyway, you slice it, we deserve five stars. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. It's chopped fresh every day. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. We'll see you on the flip side. We'll see you on the flip side. Please come back after these puns.